Today we're going to be talking about this idea of showing your family that you value them. And uh, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul does in this particular portion of Scripture that shows his Christian family in particular that they were valued by him, that they mattered to him. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 15, and uh, we'll start with verse 22, and I'm going to read right down to verse 33, the end of the chapter. Romans 15, starting with verse 22. And this is what it says in this portion of Scripture. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to gather together today and to worship you and to be able to sing songs of praise as we lift up our voices together, glorifying your name, and to be able to take some time now to study your word and to look at the things that you've communicated to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that we would understand these things. We pray that we would grow in our relationship with you as we meditate on the content of your word. We know, Lord, that it's Uh, truly a blessing to be able to spend time like this at the start of our week, thinking about these things and meditating on these truths and making investments in our hearts and in our lives and in our walk with you that pay dividends all throughout the course of our lives. So Lord, we commit this time to your care and we pray that you'd speak to us now through your word and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So from time to time, I'm invited to come and to speak to to different groups of church leaders and church volunteers about various aspects of pastoral ministry and various aspects of church outreach and things of that nature. And not long ago, really just less than a month ago, I received an invitation to come to speak to a group of about 30 leaders and, and volunteers from five different churches in the area where I grew up, where which is northeast Pennsylvania, so the Scranton region. So I went and I spoke to these churches just this past week, and the meeting went very well, but one of the side benefits of coming to speak to them was that it also allowed me to spend some time visiting my family, most of which still live 
in that area. So about two and a half hours north of here. And so what we did was we all met up at my father's house. Uh, my sisters and their children, my family and, and, and our children, and we all met up at my father's house. And so since we were driving the furthest, we brought desserts and we brought some things to drink and stuff like that. And my sisters and their families, they brought the entrees. And for an evening, we swarmed together in the same place. And I use the word swarm to describe exactly what it was like, because we really did, you know, swarm my father's house. Typically, that house is a very quiet house. It wasn't very quiet that night as we swarmed that building, but it was a lot of fun. And when I spoke to my dad the next day, I could tell that he was still enjoying the fact that everybody was over, and he was excited to see so many of his family members in the same place at the same time. And I even received a text from my sister the next day. And she said, hey, I just want to thank you for the word of encouragement that you gave my son uh, while he was doing something. I caught him pulling weeds around my dad's house. So I thought that was nice. He noticed some weeds in my dad's landscaping. And so he was pulling some of those weeds. And I, I rolled down my window as I was leaving. And I noticed him doing that. And I said, hey, man, I see what you're doing. Thanks for doing that for grandpa. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And so it was a nice, it was an edifying experience. And I think we'd all agree that the concept of family, so that evening, this week, we were able to spend time together as as an extended family. I think we'd agree that the concept of family is a beautiful thing. It's a relational structure that's been designed by God to serve in protective ways and to serve in encouraging ways. And it's also something that gives us a deeper glimpse of the spiritual relationship that we actually have with one another as fam- as the family of God through Jesus Christ. In fact, when we gather together for worship here, gathering together each week, gathering together in each other's homes throughout the course of the week, things of that nature, we're doing so as family. We're doing so as men and women who have been made family by God through our common faith in Jesus Christ. And when you look at the Scripture that I just read for us from Romans chapter 15, you can see when you look at Paul's words, and as he's describing his ministry, and as he's describing the things that the Lord has been doing in his life and through his life, that in the midst of all of this, one of the primary things that he had learned to value was his Christian family. And you could see it in the way he's describing his work, and as he's talking to this church at Rome that he hopes to visit. He demonstrates how valuable his Christian family was to him. And I think that's one of the things that we can take as an application from this portion of Scripture that we would learn to show our family, whether it be our biological family or our Christian family, our church family, that we value them. And there's a variety of things that Paul demonstrates in this portion of Scripture that I think can be useful ways that a family can learn that they're valued as we demonstrate these things. But one of the things that he points out here in this portion of Scripture is this idea of not avoiding your family. You know, don't avoid your family. Let me reread the first couple verses there. He says this in verse 22. He says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I am no, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
Is everyone enjoying the nice weather that we've had the past two weeks? I, I would be quite pleased if this stretches. Could we get like another week out of this? You know, maybe another week. If it just keeps staying like this. But I like when the weather turns warm. And probably some of you do, and maybe even most of you do as well. Because you get to go outside. You get to do things. I know for our family, there are a few things that we have in our yearly routine that, that get kind of awakened when uh, the warm weather comes about. One of the things that you're probably tired of, of hearing me talk about is all the times that we go to Knobles during the summer. You know, the world's best amusement park. Free admission. You come in. We enjoy our time there. And um, I've actually noticed, so we actually have been there once already this month. It's already happened. And one of the things that we made a point to do while we were there is we walked by a security stand. And in that security stand, there's a security guard who's worked there for some time. I don't know how long he's worked there. But his name is Larry. And you know what I've learned? That if we go there and if we don't say hi to Larry, he's disappointed. Because we didn't stop by his pavilion. He said to me the one time, as our family was hanging out, he at one point used to live in Fairless Hills. So that's how we kind of developed a, a bit of a connection. And, uh, and so we'll stop by there and we'll visit Larry. And he said, yeah, not enough people stop by here and talk to me. That's what he said. Not enough people stop by here and talk to me. So we make a point, you know, twice a week when we go to Knobles, uh, during the summer, I wish, um, I, I hope that they're still open when my retirement years come because I think I want to find a second career. Maybe Larry could tag me off and I could take his rule. Um, but, you know, Larry enjoys when we come to visit. And if we don't stop by that, that it's like a, a little gazebo, I guess it is, that he sits in. He, he feels disappointed. And already there are family and friends up in that region and those even not in that region, some from Ohio, that have started to ask us, when are you guys going to be there? When this summer are you going to be there? And we don't typically plan that out well in advance, but we realized we need to plan at least one of these out in advance. And some of you here in the church have asked us that same thing. And so August 16th, we are going to be there. And anyone that wants to be there, come on up. There's already some of you that are going to be there that day. And in fact, I was doing a mental tally of how many people are planning to come that day, including those from our church that are planning to be there. There are 40. There are 40 people from our friends and, and, and family and, and church family that are planning to be there so far that day, basically turning the day not just into a visit to the park, but like a family reunion. So it's cracking me up to see this grow, and I suspect that it's probably going to grow even beyond that 40 as we get closer to the date. Now, I bring that up because we like being reunited with people that we don't have the opportunity to see very often. Sometimes that's friends, sometimes that's family. The church at Rome wanted to see the Apostle Paul. They wanted to see him. And he wanted to see them, and he expresses that in the verses that we just read. Now, during that era of history, travel was not as, as uh, fluid and as easy as it is now. In fact, during that era of time, it could take you multiple months to get someplace that we, in our era, could liter literally visit on the same day. Do you ever think about the fact that how convenient it is for us if we wanted to visit Europe you could be in Europe the same day you left from the United States. And you think about, you know, you just go a few generations back, and that was, you know, sometimes, you know, many weeks, maybe even months. 
And here in the Apostle Paul's era, most of the traveling that you did, it wasn't even by animal, and it wasn't even by boat, although sometimes it could be by one of those. But most of the travel that you did as you went place to place was by foot. And a lot of times, even if you had an animal with you, your animal was there to carry your stuff. It wasn't always there to carry you. It was there to carry your stuff. And so when you travel, it would take a very long time to get from one place to another. So again, it could easily take somebody many months to get someplace that in our era, we could be there on the same day, even that same afternoon. But even though Paul, as he, you know, as he looked at his life, as he assessed things that were going on and he assessed those that were in his life, Paul was somebody that he wasn't married, he did not have children, but he correctly observed that the believers of these local churches were his family. They were his eternal family. He didn't just see them as partners in ministry, although he certainly saw them as that. He didn't just see them as friends that that shared the same view on life, although he certainly saw them as that. But these were his family. These were his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he desired to see them face to face. You could see that in the way that he conveys things here in this portion of Scripture. Now, I'm grateful for what the Lord has revealed to us about our family in Christ, about our eternal family, about the nature of of what it means for us to be family through faith in Christ, the family of God. Scripture tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been united as one body. So we are one body in Christ. We've been given the privilege to become the family of God, and multiple Scriptures describe the nature of this family that the Lord has built and orchestrated. Let me show you several. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. In Romans 12.5 it says this, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, it says this, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So that's just a sampling of some of the things that the Lord's revealed to us in His Word about the nature of the family that He has instituted among us as believers through our common faith in Jesus Christ. So we're people who who have been now called the children of God. Though we were many, we're now one body. And if one of us suffers or if one of us rejoices, we're right there with them in that process. These were the kind of emotions, these were the kind of feelings, these were the kind of thoughts and perspectives that the Apostle Paul had toward other believers living during that era. The church at Rome, the church at Macedonia, the church at Achaia, the church at Philippi. Paul understood that they weren't just friends. They were his family. That should be our understanding, by the way, even in moments like this when we're gathered together with one another. Now, some of your family you know really well, and some of your family you don't know at all. But we're still family, one body in Christ. And Paul was trying his best not to avoid his family. He did not want to avoid his family. As he said in this portion of Scripture, he said he wanted to see them, but up to this point he'd been kind of busy, right? It's not like he was just neglecting them. He'd kind of been 
rather occupied with the task of planting churches in cities and in communities where the gospel was not yet known, and so that had kept him from visiting Rome sooner. He wanted to visit Rome, but obviously he was prevented from doing so because he's been planting and discipling and and raising up leaders in these churches that he was starting in various cities and various places. But now the time for a visit was at hand. And Paul was looking forward to it. He knew that sometime soon, it looked like things were working out that he'd actually be able to visit them. And when he visited, one of the things that he wanted to give the church at Rome the opportunity to do was to support his upcoming mission to Spain. Spain was becoming a very important part of the Roman Empire. In fact, in, in you know, uh, you know, pretty close to that era and, and from that time on, um, several important leaders in the Roman Empire came from Spain. And Paul looked at that as an opportunity as Spain was growing in influence. This is an area that the gospel needs to be preached. And so he was looking toward an upcoming mission in Spain. That's what he had on his mind. That's what he had on his heart to do. And so he was going to give the church at Rome the opportunity to partner with him in that and support him in that. And by the way, we don't know all the details of that trip. We also don't know if that was something that even was allowed to happen. We don't actually know if Paul, there's some historical evidence that he may have eventually made it to Spain, but there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that Paul made it to Spain. So we don't know uh, if, if he ever was able to do that, but at this point, this was something that was on his mind, and it was on his heart, and so Paul wanted to visit the church at Rome before he went to Spain. And it's interesting, when you look at this portion of Scripture and you see all these different things that are expressing emotions from Paul and things about his work and things that were on his mind and things that were on his heart, as I look at this Scripture and as I look at the affection that the Apostle Paul had for the Romans, one of the things that it reminds me of, and I was thinking about this week in preparation for today, it just simply reminds me of the importance of spending time with my family in Christ. And I think sometimes for all of us, depending on probably what's going on in our day-to-day lives or maybe some of the things that we feel busy with or whatever it may be, I think sometimes it can be quite tempting for us to wall ourselves off from others. In fact, I can say in my own life, I've gone through seasons where I've done that on purpose. Do you ever even do that on purpose? Where you're just like, (laughs) you know, where you're like, I think I just need a break from people for right now. Maybe a permanent break, right? You ever get to that spot where it's like, I just need a permanent break from people. And then you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and it reminds us, don't wall yourself off from people. Don't avoid your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're united as one with them through your common faith in Jesus Christ. We are united with one another through our faith in Christ. And there's a blessing that comes with that union. A blessing that comes when we intentionally spend time with one another. There are things that you will learn. There are things that you will observe. There are things that you will experience by spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you will not experience and will not benefit from should you choose to hermit yourself and wall yourself off from those that the Lord has united you with. And we can see the benefit of that modeled in this passage, as Paul expresses his heart, his desire to spend time with his family in Christ, his desire not to avoid them. As busy as he was, 
He did not want to avoid the church at Rome. Something else that this scripture brings up that I think is important for us to notice when we're thinking about the benefits of being part of this Christian family that Christ has inaugurated is the privilege that we've been given to meet our family's needs, to meet each other's needs. Look at what it says in verse 25 and the verses right after that. It says this, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now let's pause there for just a moment. How many of you still have a landline, a home phone in your home? Raise your hand if you still have a home phone. Look around real quick. Look around. That's a very small number. We haven't had a home phone in, uh, in our home since 2008. That's when we decided, you know, I think we were early adopters to the no home phone thing. And it, it started to seem... Um, yeah, that was right when we moved to this area and we were like, do we really need to spend money on a home phone? We all have cell phones in our pockets. And I, it had gotten to the point, even before we moved down here, where when that phone would ring, when the landline would ring, I learned, don't answer it. Because what was it? It's a telemarketer almost every time. Can I tell you, so that here at the church, we have a landline. Can I, would it surprise you to know that almost every time that landline rings... It is a request for money in one way or another. It is either a telemarketer or it is a salesperson. I can't tell you how many copy places call us. I have lost count. Copy places and florists call us a lot. They must think we make a lot of copies and buy a lot of flowers. I don't know. But they call a lot. But you know what else happens? And this, is a little, this one's a little bit more awkward. But there are people who go online and curate lists of the landline phone numbers of local churches. And then they call those churches one at a time requesting money. And so, you, and obviously as a local church, I, I like to think we're compassionate people. And I like to think most churches are probably compassionate people. But what do you do when you receive a call from someone you don't know that you can't verify anything about the details or the story that they're telling you? And you hear all these, you know, you hear these requests asking for money. And can I tell you that at one point, I guess I was having one of those days where I was like, all right, I'm done with this. This is like every day. I asked the person if they had curated numbers and were just going through the list, calling individual churches in the area just to see if a church would finally give them money. And to the person's credit, they were honest enough with me to say, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, could you not do that? Can you not do that? Because there are genuine needs. And there's one thing between meeting genuine needs and then other people that are trying to scam compassionate people. So there's genuine needs that a local church tries to meet. But some people try and take advantage of that. And yet generosity is something that the Lord has modeled for us, has He not? Our God is a generous God. 
And He models generosity for us. And He encourages us to be generous people. Consider for just a moment, even before we get into the details of the verses that I just read, consider for a moment the lavish grace that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ. We have not deserved the goodness that the Lord has shown to us. But in Christ, our sins are forgiven. My sin, that I have sinned directly against the Lord. My sin, that I've sinned against my brothers and sisters in this world. My sin has been forgiven in Christ. I didn't deserve it, but He's given me that blessing. He's given me that gift. He's given you that gift as you've trusted in Him. In Christ, Scripture tells us we've been made a new creation. So the Lord was not content to leave us in the mess that we were in. He's made us a new creation in Him. And then, in Christ, we've been gifted and empowered. So He hasn't left us powerless in this world. He hasn't left us to try and figure things out on our own. He's gifted us and He's empowered us as we walk with Him. And so He's been generous to us in so many ways. And with that in mind, He encourages us to be generous people as well. In fact, I think believers should be known for their love and for their generosity. And at the time Paul was writing this letter... The believers in Jerusalem, so there were churches that had been planted in multiple places, but obviously we know, you know, as the gospel spread, it spread from Jerusalem to all these other areas. And so at this particular time, the believers in Jerusalem, through a variety of reasons, including persecution, they were suffering greatly. They were dealing with an, just an excessive amount of poverty in some contexts. And so the Apostle Paul, what he had done with the cooperation of other churches, is he organized a relief offering for them. Some aid, some assistance to help them to meet these needs. And their need was genuine. This wasn't a game. This wasn't a joke. Uh, They weren't trying to deceive people or anything like that. I don't even know that they had asked for help. But they had a genuine need, and we're told here in particular that as Paul was ministering to different churches and serving different churches, raising up leaders, doing his best to help people grow in their walk in Christ, we're told that the churches in Macedonia and Achaia in particular contributed to help alleviate the poverty that was being experienced by the believers in Jerusalem. And in fact, Paul stresses here that these churches... They considered it a moral obligation to help them materially since they had been blessed spiritually as the gospel had advanced from Jerusalem to them. And so they looked at this and they said, all right, we've been blessed spiritually with the gospel that's come to us from Jerusalem. We need to bless them materially in the midst of their suffering. So before Paul traveled to Rome, he expressed to the Romans here that he wanted to visit Jerusalem first. So that on the way to Rome, as he visits Jerusalem, that he could share the financial aid that he had collected for the believers who were suffering there from other churches. And Paul eventually made it to Rome. Scripture reveals to us Paul did make it there. He made it to Rome. But it wasn't in the conventional way that he anticipated. So his idea was that he was going to go to Jerusalem, drop off the relief offering, spend some time with the believers there, and then peacefully move from there to Rome. But I think he had a foreboding thought. You can even see it in what he asks the believers in Rome to pray about in the coming verses. He had a thought, this might not go as squeaky clean as I'd like it to. So I want you guys to be thinking about me and praying for me. But while Paul was in Jerusalem, dropping off that offering, he was actually imprisoned because of his bold proclamation of the gospel. 
But he did make it to Rome, except he was taken to Rome as a prisoner. So he drops off the offering in Jerusalem. He's arrested because of his bold proclamation of the gospel. And he's taken to Rome as a prisoner. But to the best of his ability, and with the partnership of believers in multiple cities, he met the needs of his family in Jerusalem. He met their needs. And he considered it a privilege to do so. The church at Macedonia, the church at Achaia, other churches, they considered it a privilege to meet those needs as well. And by the way, we all have physical needs. Every single one of us, we all have physical needs. And we can certainly be grateful for the privilege that it is to have had those needs met by the people that the Lord's placed in our lives. As I've been looking around, even as we were singing earlier, uh, I was looking around this sanctuary and uh, happened to see a lot of babies. Some of them are brand new, like literally brand new, right? They're still within that 30-day warranty period, you know? They are that new, right? I'm looking around, babies over here, babies over here. They're all over the place. Don't touch these people, right? It's contagious. You know that, right? Um, but uh, all kidding aside, uh, I look at that, and it's so, isn't it exciting and joyful to see that? You know, don't you want to just kind of catch a glimpse of, of these little babies, right? And you, and you see that, and you think, okay. And when you think about the life of a baby, what, what, what's, what's the daily life of a baby like? Well, they can't meet any of their needs. They can't meet a single need. They are 100% dependent on the care that's supplied to them from their mother and from their father and from maybe even older siblings. One of my friends, uh, uh, he has four children that are roughly the same age as my children, and then he and his wife just had uh, a fifth child. And so they have all girls, and then they had a little boy. And there's like 13 years between them, right? Between the youngest and the, and the, the, the new one. And it's interesting, you know, as that little baby boy was born in that household, seeing all these people providing care, not just mom and dad, but all four older sisters. That's a real good system when you think about it, isn't it? They had four built-in caregivers and babysitters right there in the house from day one for that little boy. And we were just visiting with them recently, and you could see, like, everybody just loves this little guy. Right? And they're all entertained by him and they're all taking care of him. But we all have needs, and from day one, what happens? The people that love you meet your needs. They take care of you, they look after you, they protect you in ways that you don't even realize that they're doing. And then, even as you're growing up, what happens? People that are meeting your needs and meeting your needs. And I could think, you know, over the course of my life, I think of my, my father and my mother and my grandparents, and I had aunts and uncles and, and an extended family. And, all sorts of people that surrounded me with their love growing up and met my needs in all sorts of ways, whether it be physically or spiritually or emotionally, there were needs that were being met on my behalf. And then it's interesting when you reach a certain season of life, and in many of those respects, you find yourself now meeting the needs of the people who once met your needs. Isn't it interesting when that, when that situation flips a little bit and you find yourself in the spot where you're meeting the needs of the people who once met your needs. That's the season of life that I've been at for the past group of years, years, meeting the needs of those that once met my needs. And isn't it interesting when the Lord gives you that fuller perspective, how you can look at that and you could say, what a privilege it is to bless those that once blessed. 
One of my kids was joking with me recently about something that I, I did or something that I purchased. And we were laughing about it. I, I think we were actually talking about vehicles or something like that. And I said, you do realize that the majority of money that I earn does not get spent on me, right? And uh, this child was like, yeah, that's true. I was like, think about it. Think of how many people live off of the money that I earn or the money that mom earns. The majority of what we earn isn't actually spent on us. And you look at that, and I don't know about you, but in, in my heart, that doesn't even trouble me. It's kind of like what Scripture says, it's more joyous to give. It's better to give than it is to receive. There's something delightful about that. There's something enjoyable about the privilege to meet one another's needs. And you could see that demonstrated here as Paul was looking at the church at Jerusalem as what? His family. And he was talking to the churches at Macedonia and Achaia, and he's saying, hey, listen, our family is struggling right now. Let's meet their needs. Let's work to meet their needs. We all have physical needs that we need to have met. And the Lord's a provider, and oftentimes He provides through our family. But even beyond our physical needs, our greatest needs, the deepest longing of your soul, the deepest longing of my soul, isn't physical in nature. It's spiritual in nature. And the deepest needs of our souls can ultimately only be met through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a longing in your heart and there's a longing in my heart for the deepest need that we have to be met. And that longing only finds satisfaction when we come to know Jesus Christ by faith. Every single person that you meet over the course of your life is experiencing that longing. And they're trying to fill it with something. Everybody's trying to fill that vacancy or that void with something. Everybody thinks that they've found, well, maybe they don't all think they've found it, but everybody's looking to fill that vacancy or that void with something. And they'll go thing to thing or person to person trying to fill that void until finally we recognize that Christ is the only one who can fill that void. Although sadly, some people never get to the spot where they realize that Christ is the one who could fill that vacancy and who can fill that void. And there's a familiar portion of Scripture that's in Matthew chapter 6. I'll bring it up on, on the screen in just a second. But before I bring it up on the screen, I want to reference something. It's a portion of Scripture that I think you'll find familiar. And it's a portion of Scripture that talks about the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, desires to meet our needs. Now, a lot of times I want the Lord to meet my comforts. And a lot of times I want the Lord to meet my preferences. But the Lord looks at me and He says, I love you enough not to do that for you all the time. I love you enough to meet your needs. Now, he knows that I have physical needs and you have physical needs, but he also knows that the deepest needs of our heart and the deepest needs of our soul is spiritual in nature. And I want you to have that in mind as I read a familiar portion of Scripture from Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, it says this. And Jesus, this is Jesus saying this here. And he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, that's probably a familiar Scripture for 90% of you. 
And in that portion of Scripture, sometimes we look at that and we think of just the, just the fact that the Lord meets our physical needs, and that's certainly something that He does. But notice the statement that Christ makes at the end there where He says, are you not of more value than they? And think about that from the deeper sense. If we are of more value than the birds, wouldn't you also say that in addition to meeting our physical needs, that since we're of more value, that the Lord desires to meet those spiritual needs as well? Does that not make sense in light of what the Lord's revealed in Scripture? That He longs, that, that He desires to meet the longing, the deepest longing of your soul and my soul, and that's done through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, our Redeemer, who fills the vacancy and who fills the void. And Christ stresses that, that that is of value to our Heavenly Father. One other thing that I think is useful for us to notice as the family of God, and as we're observing what Paul was doing in the context that he was in, is this. Pray for the well-being of your family. Pray for the well-being of your family. Let me read verse 30 down to the end. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. So you could see that foreboding, right? That Paul knew that there was danger as he went to Jerusalem. So he's saying, pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And he says, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, meaning to the believers in Jerusalem. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, um, we have a bulletin that I hope you get on Sunday mornings. It's got different things that we think are valuable that we try and share with you. And I remember when I was growing up in my home church, my home church had a, uh, you know, a, a pretty standard bulletin that they'd give out on Sunday mornings. And somewhere along the way, they decided to uh, add these inserts to the bulletins that they had purchased from somewhere that they wanted to, to share. Uh, and somewhere from different, um, you know, just parachurch organizations that were trying to help people grow in their faith. And one of the, the inserts that they would utilize was something from Focus on the Family. And I want to read to you something uh, this is from 1988. It's from one of those inserts that they had included in uh, those bulletins. And it was a study of 500 family counselors. So I'm always fascinated with studies like this. I'm always fascinated with, with uh, you know, just, just some of the things that people discover as they work with large groups of people. And a study was done of more than 500 family counselors and what they wanted to figure out as the study was done was what are the top traits of successful families? So just before I read to you their list, what do you think, just think this in your head for a second, what do you think would be on that list? The top traits of successful families, right? It's Father's Day. It's a good time for us to be thinking about this. We're also looking at a portion of Scripture where you can see the Apostle Paul is valuing his Christian family. So what did these 500-plus family counselors collectively seem to notice as top traits of successful families? Well, here's the list that they gave. First thing they said was communicating and listening. 
I think that's good that they said both, communicating and listening. Do you ever meet somebody that's really good at communicating and not good at having that be a reciprocal conversation? I, I had a conversation with someone recently that I, afterward I was like, that was an interesting conversation. I don't know that I said two words. Is it a conversation in that moment? I don't know. I don't think so. So communication and listening. They said that was a good trait. Communicate and listen. Then they also said affirming and supporting family members. So having each other's back, supporting one another, encouraging one another. Okay. The third thing they said was respecting one another. You know when that's a challenge to practice respect, at least for me? I noticed this with each of my children as they were growing up. Children, when they get to a certain spot, they're not little kids anymore. But in your mind, since you raised them from the time that you're able to hold them in one hand, right? It's hard to flick that switch in your mind when that day happens. When they're not little kids anymore, because to you, they're your little kids. And it feels like five minutes ago that they were your little kids, and then all of a sudden they're not. And uh, I've recognized that there's a point in time with, my, with each of my children where I've had to talk to them differently, where I can't talk to them like they're little anymore. I need to talk to them more face-to-face, not at, but more face-to-face. And I've noticed that, you know, right around, in particular, when they kind of hit like age 13, right around that range, they, you can end up doing a disservice to the children if you, if you convey disrespect in the way you communicate. And some of those lessons I learned the hard way by saying things and then regretting it and then realizing, I think that, per, that child is upset because I, I spoke in a way that felt disrespectful to them in that moment. And so I've learned over time that really matters conveying respect to one another. You know, husbands and wives convey respect to each other as well because you're being observed by uh, people. You know, your children, others are looking at you. Convey respect in how you treat each other and how you speak to each other in front of them. How about this? Developing a sense of trust. Developing a sense of trust where the family learns to trust one another. My kids will, will tell you that one of the things that we, we try and operate with in the house is as you get older, we want to be able to trust you more. And the idea is keep earning trust, keep earning trust, and you'll keep, we'll, we'll keep giving you the benefit of the doubt. Sharing time and responsibility. Sharing time and responsibility. Knowing right from wrong. You know, having clear lines with these things. I had a friend growing up. He was one of my most insecure friends. And I always wondered why he was so insecure. And then the more we became friends, the more I started hanging out at his home. And you know what I noticed when I'd visit his home? He was allowed to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And he would talk to his parents in such a way that I was like, I cannot believe you're saying that to your parents. I would have a welt on my face if I said that to one of my parents. And, I, and he's like, oh, they don't care. And he was right. They didn't care. And it didn't, it didn't play out very well for him as an adult. Without going into all the story, it didn't play out very well for him. The idea of knowing right from wrong and having those, those boundary lines that you say, I will, I will fight you if you try and cross this line. You can try and cross it, and maybe you will, but I'm telling you now, it will be a fight. You will have to fight me to cross this line. 
Do you, those of you holding these, I'm seeing all these little babies around. Isn't it hard to believe that at some point, these little precious babies are going to say, hello, I'm your teenage child now. I'm here to attempt to cross the line. Today is the day. It's like, okay, I've been ready ever since Father's Day 2019. I've been ready. I knew this day was coming. But no right from wrong. Something else that they said was this. Having rituals and traditions. Now I joke about some of our family traditions and some of our family rituals because some of them are funny to me how they're not really that big of a deal, but really in the, in the scheme of things, they kind of are a big deal. Because there are certain things that we know as a family, hey, we know we're going to do that thing. And so we do that together. And if we skip it, sometimes we've skipped a few, and I hear about it. It's like, wait a second, it's this time of year, at this time of year, don't we always do this thing? It's like, yeah, I thought we were going to switch it up this year. No, don't switch it up. Don't change it. I like that thing. Having rituals, having traditions as a family, it matters. This won't surprise you that it's on there. As we're gathered together for a worship service, sharing a religious core was one of the things that that these uh, family counselors stressed as an important trait of successful families, sharing a religious core. And they also said, and this one I think is a little tricky, this was the last one they had on that list, but respecting each other's privacy. And that one's tricky because there are certain, thi- there are certain things that I think as parents you can't really perfectly follow the respect the privacy thing, especially in the internet age. Um, but where it's possible, respect each other's privacy, and where it can't be, cross the line, parents, right? Cross the line. Do whatever you need to do to protect your children. But when you look at what Paul says as he closes out this, this chapter here, you could see that he's praying and that he's asking for prayer. That prayer is something that goes back and forth to the Lord on behalf of believers, Christian family. By the way, let me just ask this. Do you pray for your family's well-being? Do you pray for the well-being of your family? Do you ask the Lord to directly intervene on behalf of your family? I'm sure that many of you do, and I'd encourage you to continue doing so. By the way, I've, I've become convinced that as a father, that's one of the most important things that I'm called to do, to pray on behalf of my family, to pray for the well-being of my family. So I pray for my family's health in five particular areas. I pray that they'll be healthy spiritually. I pray that they'll be healthy emotionally. I pray that they'll be healthy physically. I pray that they'll be healthy relationally. And I've also learned to pray that they'll be healthy financially because I consider that an area of stewardship. What do you do with, the, with what the Lord entrusts to you? So spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, and financially, pray for your family's health. But here's the other thing I know. I know that the example I give my kids and the counsel that I offer them can only take them so far. Can only take them so far. They need, like we all need, the direct intervention of the Lord. They need the power and the presence of Christ in their daily lives. So ultimately, that's what we need to be praying for on behalf of our family members, whether we're talking about children, whether we're talking about our family in Christ, whether we're talking about our spouses, whether we're talking about close friends in the church, we need to pray that the power of Christ would be noticeable in their lives. And Paul often looked at the believers that he led to Christ as his spiritual children. 
And in some cases, you could see him referring to people like that. Like, like Timothy, he'd refer to Timothy as his son. Well, Timothy wasn't his biological son, but he looked at Timothy as a spiritual son because he had invested in Timothy's discipleship. And he had invested in Timothy's growth as a believer. And Paul looked at these individuals, he looked at these people, he looked at his brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and many of these people that he had led to Christ as his spiritual children. And because he loved them like they were his children, he made a point to pray for them regularly. And he also sought their prayers on his behalf. And so here in a portion of Scripture like this, you could see Paul asking them to pray for him. And he was praying for protection, or asking them to pray for his protection. Right? He's asking them to pray for his deliverance. He's asking them uh, to pray that he would be able to complete the ministry that the Lord had entrusted to him. And he also asked them to pray that he would be able to come to them and be refreshed by their company. Do you have people in your life that are truly a refreshing, uh, you know, refreshing people and refreshing personalities that the Lord's blessed you with? Apparently, the Apostle Paul felt that way toward the church at Rome. He was praying and asking them to pray that he'd be able to come to them and be refreshed by them. The other night, uh, I didn't ask my daughter if I could share this, so uh, I'm going to say something about you. I'll find out how it goes. Usually, I ask their permission. I think she'll be okay with this one. Um, but the other night, I was sitting in our living room working on my computer, and my wife was on a chair to my left, and my daughter was on a chair across from me, and I'm sitting there just trying to get some work done, and it was kind of late, and it was even late when I had come home from the church building here, from my office, but I was still working on some stuff, and I was trying to get it done, and uh, uh, my oldest daughter kind of looked at me, and she's like, man, like, you're, you're busy. Like, you're trying to do a lot of things at once, and she came over by me, by my chair, and she said, Dad, can I pray for you? And I, I said, yeah, of course you can, um, as soon as I get done doing this work. <laughs> I didn't say that. I, I said, yeah, I, I would love that. And so she said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. And so she put her hand on my left shoulder, and she just prayed for me. And she prayed that the Lord would give me strength. She prayed that the Lord would give me help. She prayed that the Lord would uh, give me the endurance that I need to get the different tasks accomplished that I was trying to get accomplished. And she prayed that the Lord would protect me and look after me. And then she went to bed. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that, that was a real blessing. Isn't it a blessing when someone takes the time to notice you and pray for you? What a blessing that is. And what do you see the Apostle Paul encouraging the church to do? And what is he modeling here? The idea of praying for the well-being of your family, whether it be your physical family, your biological family, or your spiritual family. Pray for the well-being of your family. We will refresh one another as we do that. Let me say this as we finish up this morning. Your natural family and your Christian family, right? Your supernatural family are a blessing. And as I look at this portion of Scripture from Romans chapter 15, I can't help but be reminded of how the Lord has united us as one. He's united us to one another. And He gives us the privilege to, pe to play a pivotal role in one another's lives. We play a pivotal role in each other's lives. You play a pivotal role in my life and each other's lives and in the life of your family. We play pivotal roles in each other's lives. And as Christ has demonstrated that He values us 
And then as Christ inspired the Apostle Paul to model that to the church at Rome and to the other churches, to show them that he valued them with the value that Christ had shown him. I just want to encourage us, as we look at a portion of Scripture like this, to be intentional about demonstrating to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we value one another as eternal family through Christ, united as children of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness and Your grace and Your blessings and all the things that You have done on our behalf and all the different ways that that You look after us, that You provide for us, that You meet our needs. Father, we're grateful that You chose to send Your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And He came and He lived a perfect life on our behalf and died to pay for our sin and rose from the grave to defeat sin and to defeat Satan and to defeat death. And now through faith in Your Son, we're made new creations. We are new people in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that's truly a blessing. We're grateful for the blessings that You've just lavishly bestowed upon us. Lord, we know we don't deserve these things, but we're grateful for them. And Lord, as You have shown us in so many ways that You value us, we pray that by Your grace that we would learn to value one another and that we would demonstrate to one another that we are people who value one another. Lord, we pray that just as Paul was seeking to be refreshed by the Romans, that we would refresh one another as Your Holy Spirit operates within us. And as He guides us, and as He counsels us, and as He directs us. We're just grateful for these realities that You've made abundantly clear to us as we look at Your Word. So Lord, whether it be today, whether it be throughout the course of this week, whether it be sometime later in our life, we pray, Father, that You would just use us to communicate love and value to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we thank you again for the examples that you've given to us from your word and and what you've demonstrated to us through your son, Jesus Christ, in this specific area. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.